Well, our crowd is uh, rather reduced tonight with uh, so many of the young people gone, but we're glad that you're here this evening, and I hope the time we spend here together tonight will be beneficial for all of us. The Hall of Fame football coach, Vince Lombardi, famously said, well, he famously said a lot of things, but one of them was that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And Lombardi certainly knew a good deal about winning. As a head coach, first of the Green Bay Packers and then of the Washington Redskins, he'd never had a losing season. He won five NFL championships, including the first two Super Bowls. But in talking about winning, he speaks to a universal human desire. We all like to win, don't we? We don't like to lose. From the time that we're children, we're invested in, in winning our board games or marbles or whatever it is that we may be playing. I, I remember vividly, I have one brother, he's younger than I am, and whenever we would be playing a board game and he'd be losing, you know, four or five years old, he'd just quit. That's how much he hated to lose. He would just quit if he could tell that it was inevitable. He wasn't going to play anymore. Because winning is that important. We root for our sports teams to win. We root for our, our college to win or our hometown team to win. Some of the most vivid memories of my life involve uh, big wins in sporting events that I attended. Uh, I remember being at the Texas OU game in 2008, for example, which was one of the greatest games in the history of the rivalry. A lot of you are baseball fans, probably uh, celebrated the Astros World Series championship last year because you thought you were never going to see that day. We all like to win in various aspects of our life. Our text this evening comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58, and in it we're promised victory. We're going to win through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes there, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is a confidence, this idea of victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, a confidence that Paul expressed over and over again and over again. Romans chapter 8, in verse 31, he says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Or again, in writing to the church in Philippi, chapter 4, in verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That is, through Christ. We will win the victory through Christ. And that comes in countless different ways. For one thing, in Christ, we have victory over sin. We have victory over the guilt of sin. Every human being struggles with the weight of guilt. Even those who are not religious struggle with the pangs of conscience that they feel when they know that they're going astray. They're doing things that they ought not to be doing. And so 
we as human beings have various different ways that we try to deal with that guilt of sin. There are some people who think that they can uh, cure themselves effectively of sin. They can get it out of their lives. There's some sort of a systematic program that they're going to work. Or you go to uh, any major bookstore and you'll find that there's a big section there of self-help books because we're going to try to fix ourselves. We're going to try to work through our problems that we have. We find various different ways to, to better ourselves, to, to work on who we are. Or some people try to deal with the guilt of sin just by denying that it even exists. That's a really popular tactic, tactic in our modern world where we don't want there to be any objective standards of right and wrong. What's right for you may not be what's right for me. You've got your truth and I've got mine and, and that's okay. We try to deny that there's any objective sin because we don't want to be held accountable. We don't like that idea. But of course, people still can't ignore that voice of conscience there that continually stings them. Even Judaism, the greatest religion of the ancient world, one given by God, couldn't fully and completely remove the guilt of sin. Only Jesus can take it away. That was always God's ultimate plan. You can think about the way that John the Baptist greeted Jesus when he saw him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or I think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us victory over sin. He also gives us victory over the power of sin in terms of temptation. We don't have to worry that God is somehow distant from us, that he can't identify with the struggles that we have, that he doesn't understand. Because in Jesus, God took on human form and he came down to this earth and he lived among us and he walked with us and he talked with us and he experienced the very same temptations that we do. The Hebrews writer says that, we know that, that we have not a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows and he cares. And as we sing in one song, not the one we're singing tonight, but another one, temptations lose their power when he's near. And we actually have his promise to aid us in our temptation. This is fitting with something that Judge Taylor actually prayed for a few moments ago. God has promised that he will make a way of escape from our temptations. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. But with the temptation, He'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So in Jesus, in so many ways, we have victory over sin. But we also have, secondly, victory over life's trials. We have victory over sorrow. Now that's not to say that sorrow will go away. 
We know that. We've talked about that in some of these Sunday night lessons over the past few weeks. It's an indisputable fact of human existence. We're going to have trouble. Job lamented that in the long ago. Man was born to trouble just as the sparks fly upward. But Paul regarded Jesus as our ultimate consolation. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us <clears throat> in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We have victory over sorrow. We have consolation in Jesus. We have victory over our difficulties in life. Uh, again, that's not to say that they're going to go away. We all know that we're going to have a lot of uphill climbs throughout this life. But Jesus has promised that he'll always be with us, right there by our sides in the midst of those difficulties. It's what he promised his apostles. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have victory over the fear that we encounter in this world. There's a lot of things to be frightened of in our modern world. We have terroristic threats from abroad. We have them internally these days, unfortunately. You never know when some madman is going to take things into his own hands and uh, attack someone unexpectedly. We have economic fears. We know that we faced tough economic times just only about a decade ago, and inevitably we will again. We have to worry about natural disasters. Obviously, people in this area have encountered that a good bit with flooding, with hurricanes. Where we lived before, they had terrible wildfires that swept through there a couple of times. We have all of these things to be afraid of. And sometimes we're afraid of the state of our culture that we live in a, a society that seems to be increasingly opposed to Christianity and that's antithetical to our values, and we wonder if we're even going to have a place at the table as the world moves forward. But Jesus assures us that his kingdom is indestructible, even when it seems like it's not. Matthew 16 and verse number 18 after Peter confesses that he's the Christ, Jesus says, you're right. And I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're given victory over this world in every way, whether it's the things that we're afraid of in this world, whether it's a temptation in this world, whether it's the uh, sorrows that we have in this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. John writes about that, 1 John chapter 2. You know this passage, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
we have to remember and be confident in the fact that Jesus overcomes the world. He's already won the victory over this world. And in him, if we're part of him, if we're his brothers and sisters, if we're God's children, then we have that same victory. He says that in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've spoken these things to you that you might have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Finally, we have victory over death. That's what Paul is particularly speaking of back in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's the last battlefield that any of us will face in this life. But we're assured that Jesus has already won that victory too. Back to 1 Corinthians 15 and reading from verse number 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. And then he comes to the end of this chapter, and he talks about the fact that when Jesus returns, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. Our mortal bodies will put on immortality. Our corruptible bodies will become incorruptible. And when that happens, shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is precisely what we talked about this morning. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, eternal life awaits those who are his people. We have won victory over death in Christ. Eugene Bartlett was born on Christmas Eve, 1885. He grew up in Arkansas and even as a boy demonstrated a strong singing voice and a deep interest in music. After attending schools in Tennessee and in Missouri, he struck out on the road and uh, like a lot of people in that day and age, he started teaching in singing schools. He started writing songs. His tunes were included in the singing convention books that were really popular in those days that were standard fare in the early 1900s. Uh, Everybody Will Be Happy Over There. That's one that some of you may know that he authored. He also wrote a song called uh, Take an Old Cold Tater and Wait that was a hit for little Jimmy Dickens of the Grand Ole Opry and sort of showing his uh, versatility there, I suppose. Bartlett was also a, a businessman. He established the Central Music Company, a a firm that published shape note songbooks. And then in 1918, he established the Hartford Music Company, which became a real driving force in Southern gospel music. 
And one day in the mid-1920s, a young man showed up on his doorstep and he was completely destitute. And he said, Mr. Bartlett, I hear that you'll teach young men who have an interest in singing how to sing and you'll teach them how to write music, but I have to tell you, I don't have any money. Bartlett asked him if he even had money for a room and board. He didn't. He was broke. So he said, well, I guess you need to go over to my house. We'll board you there. And he took him in and he taught him music. And that young man was Albert E. Brumley. He wrote a lot of hymns that you know. One that I know you know is best known, When I'll Fly Away. That's one we sing quite a bit here, along with many others. Well, in 1939, Bartlett was still in the prime of his life when suddenly he had a stroke. And it left him partially paralyzed so that his days of traveling and performing were over. In fact, it ruined his health to the point that he only lived for another two years. Well, these were difficult days for him. But during that time, he devoted himself to studying the Bible. He spent a lot of time thinking about all of the blessings that he'd received in his life. And he wrote the last of his 800 songs, uh, surely the most difficult and painstaking one that he'd written. It came slowly, phrase by phrase, note by note. But it was the culmination of his life's work, and it summed up his life and summed up our message tonight perfectly. A lot of you have probably already figured out what this song is. It's actually one that we sang this morning, and it's inevitable, I suppose, that that was going to happen at some point. But it's Victory in Jesus. For those of you who use the books, that's number 470. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sins And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus, 
one more time here at Paul's concluding challenge back in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul says our labor is not in vain. We've won the victory, but we must remain steadfast. So the question to you tonight is, are you steadfast? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Have you seized that victory that's offered to you in Christ? If not, and if you need to make changes this evening, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and sing.